You know, that song always touches my heart. He knows my name. And I think about the, the millions, billions, trillions of people who have lived and died throughout the centuries. But God looks out and he knows our name. He knows my name. He knows your name. He knows us and he loves us. And I'm so grateful today to be uh, a part of the body of Christ as we get to experience and enjoy the love of God today and tomorrow and forever. So thank you so much for joining me. I'm so happy you're here. I'm so happy you made it to church today. Uh, you know, we're, we got this whole church quarantine edition, church home edition going on. I realize it's not ideal. It's not ideal for pastors either, but uh, you know, I, I'll take this over nothing every day. So thank you for being here. Thank you for joining us. I want to say, uh, have a word for us this morning. Um, and uh, it's out of Jeremiah. It's out of Jeremiah 29. We're in a series called The Exiled Church. And we're looking at different stories, different words from the exile that Israel experienced uh, that we read about in Scripture. And today we're going to look at Jeremiah 29 and listen to the words of a prophet who spoke to a people who had been carried away into exile. But before we do that, I want to spend just a minute in prayer. If you would pray with me. And I, I, I want you to pray and invite the Holy Spirit to come into your presence. You know, uh, before a Sunday, we'll have a team praying before service, just inviting the Holy Spirit, asking that God would have his way among us. And I realize I can't send a team of prayer warriors to your house every week to prepare your house in the same way. But at the same time, you have the spirit of God inside of you. So let's invite the Holy Spirit now into your house, into wherever you are right now. Lord, we just invite your presence. Holy Spirit, would you come in a new way? And Lord, into the midst of our homes, into the midst of our lives, into the midst of our hearts. And Lord, calm the troubled hearts, Bring down the anxious hearts. Lord, put in us hope and trust and faith in you, knowing that you are faithful to us and that you will see us through. So bring your presence, Holy Spirit. Bring your gifts, bring your fruit. Let them go forth in this place, O Lord. Let them manifest themselves in our lives. Open our ears and our eyes to your scripture this morning that we can receive the word that you have for us. Amen. Amen. Well, if you remember from last week, uh, what we were talking about, there was two phases to the Babylonian exile. The first phase happened uh, when the Babylonians came, they captured the city of Jerusalem and they carried off about 3000 people, including Daniel, uh, his friends and others in the city, including the king at the time and carried them off to Babylon. And it was a troubling time for those who were left in the city of Jerusalem. It was a time of anxiety. It was a time of uncertainty. Uh, it was a time when they they wanted to be united with those who were far away, but there was no way for them to do so. And in Jeremiah 28, uh, which is being written during this time, you can read about the false prophets as they begin to tell the people, don't worry, this time will go quickly. They say two years and it'll be done. Two years and it'll be over. God will bring an end to this exile. But in fact, the exile did not end quickly. Actually, what happened historically was 
uh, a little while after the first exile, Babylonian armies came back to Jerusalem. And this time they completely destroyed the city. They burned the temple to the ground and they carried off the rest of the inhabitants of the city back to Babylon, where they were in exile for decades until finally they were able to come back. And you can read about that story in Nehemiah and Ezra. But God's prophet Jeremiah had been informed by the Lord that this was what was going to happen. He'd been informed that this was not going to end quickly. And so when he heard about false prophets beginning to tell the people, beginning to deceive the people, saying, it's going to get over quickly, it'll be done soon, Jeremiah wrote a letter to the people who were already in Babylon, to the Jews who had already been exiled, telling them, informing them of what God had been telling him. And that's what we're going to read today. We're reading somebody's mail. We're reading a letter that Jeremiah had written to the people. So I'm going to go ahead and read the entirety of the passage we're going to look at today, which is Jeremiah 29, 1 through 14. And then we're going to talk about what I feel like God is, is speaking to us. So if you have a Bible, if you have a Bible app, don't close this tab, but you can open up BibleGateway.com and find a Bible. But if you close this tab, it'll go away and you don't want to do that. So this is uh, Jeremiah 29 verses 1 through 14. This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people Nebuchadnezzar had carried from into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after the king and the queen mother, the court officials and the leaders of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen and the artisans had been gone into exile from Jerusalem. If you remember from Daniel, the Babylonians first took all of the people who they thought could be of use to them and deported them to Babylon uh, so that they would help them build their empire. He entrusted the letter to Elishah, son of Shaphan, and to Gemariah, son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. It's a lot of names. And it said, this is the letter. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that you too, they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there and do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. Ouch. Uh, they are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places that I have banished you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. We have running commentary going on in the background. <laughs> Thank you for coming into my house. And I know that uh, I know that most of you probably have verse 11 
right? I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope in the future. I realize that, that most of you probably have that tattooed somewhere on your body. Um, but we rarely read that verse in context, right? I, I see it on journals. I see it on Facebook posts. I see it on uh, Bibles. People literally have a tattooed on their body, but we rarely read that verse in the context in which it was written. Uh, and it, the reason why we don't is because look at look at verse four. It's a little bit scary. Verse four. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. The exile was not only the result of a foreign empire coming and taking over land and deporting people. Right. It was also a part of the plan of God. The exile was a part of God's plan. We serve a sovereign God. And while it's absolutely true that God does not initiate evil and that God does not create evil or cause evil to come about, it's also true that nothing is beyond his control and his purposes. That means that God has a purpose for exile. God has a purpose for this time that we're in right now. God has a purpose for it. God has a purpose for our suffering. Oh, that is difficult, difficult to hear. Now you wish that you hadn't got that tattooed on your lower back. It doesn't mean that God has caused your suffering. But what it does mean is that God has a purpose within your suffering. He's allowed it to happen for a purpose. And that can be a bit a bit scary. Whenever I find myself in a place of suffering, after I've complained, after I've you know sort of spent some time thinking about how sorry I am for myself, after a while, my thoughts begin to turn towards asking God the question, Lord, what are you doing in this time of suffering? What are you trying to do? What are you trying to teach me? What are you trying to bring about through this time of suffering? And I begin to focus not on the situation I find myself in, but I begin to focus my eyes on God and on what God is doing through the situation that I find myself in. It's probably about like 3 a.m. when you've been walking a baby around back and forth over and over and over again because they won't sleep if you stand still. About that time, I ask myself, God, what are you doing in this suffering? For what purpose am I going through this? And today we're going to look at this passage with that in mind. We're going to look at this letter uh, that Jeremiah has written with that attitude in our mind. We want to discover what God has purposed in Israel's exile. And in doing so, I think we're going to discover what God has purposed, what some of the purposes that God has for our own time of suffering and distance and quarantine from one another. There's three things, three things that I think that God is teaching Israel and three things. You know, I'm amazed that God does this. I, before I was a preacher, I never thought that God spoke in threes so often. But now that I'm a preacher, it seems like everything in scripture comes in threes to me. And oftentimes in alliteration, I don't know what that is, but if you become a preacher, all of a sudden everything comes in threes. I had a pastor who, uh, this is just an aside. This is just a, this is just a, you know, you can delete this later. Um, but I had a pastor who he would always preach in alliteration and it was, it was always odd numbers, threes, fives, sevens, and always in alliteration. You know, this is the calling of God. He's calling you to come forth. He's calling you to conquer, you know, something like that. And you could, he would print notes and you'd have his notes. And if you knew the letter that that this started with you could probably guess the words you know there's only so many words that begin with the letter m or h or l um 
He was a great pastor. Dan Scheller. Shout out to Dan Scheller if you ever watches this. I love you, man. Um, but I don't I don't usually preach in alliteration, but I do preach in threes often. I'm telling you, God, he, he talks in threes. So there's three things that I think that we want to learn here in Jeremiah. Three things that God is teaching us. Three things he wants to, he has purposes for this time of exile. And there's, there's three of them. Let's look at the first part. This is verses four through six. This is what the Lord Almighty God of Israel says to those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses, settle down, plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry, have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons. Give your daughters in marriage that they might have sons and daughters. Increase in number and do not decrease. The first thing that God has purposed in exile, write it down, is that the people would thrive in exile. That they wouldn't diminish but that they would thrive. During our fir- my first sermon that I preached the first week of the quarantine, um, we had five people, I think, in the audience, and I was preaching to this old get up. And the first thing I preached on was I was preaching out of the gospel of Tupac Shakur and specifically uh, his poem where he that he wrote called The Rose That Grew From The Concrete. And I said, God is looking for roses that are growing out of concrete. That is what we're looking for, that you would thrive in the midst of a dangerous and difficult circumstance, that you would discover in the midst of the brokenness of reality, a place to grow and thrive. God wants you to thrive. He doesn't want you to diminish. He wants you to increase during this time. False prophets are saying, don't get comfortable. Things are going to go back to how they were quickly. You know, stay where you are and just go in a holding pattern because it's all going to come back. And Jeremiah says, unpack your bags, start planting, start getting settled. Give your daughters in marriage and take wives for your sons because you need to thrive in the place where you're at. God has a purpose for your exile. You know, Jeremiah, this message that God was going to uh, allow exile to continue for longer than the Israelites wanted. This message was not a very popular message with the Israelites. In fact, if you read in Jeremiah, he ends up getting thrown into a huge pit. Uh, He has to stay down there for a number of days. Uh, He writes out all these prophecies. He hands them to the king, and the king takes him and throws him in the fire. So he has to rewrite all these prophecies again. Not a very popular guy. And I can understand that. You know, I don't necessarily blame the people for throwing Jeremiah into a pit. I'm imagining... You know, all the people kind of gathered around and there's a prophet there and the prophet saying, hey, it's going to be ending soon. All the people are going to come back. You're going to see your buddies again. It's going to be fine. You know, it's short period and then it's over. And Jeremiah walks up and it says here in chapter 28, he's he's carrying uh, chains on himself. And he says, God has put us into, into chains and it's going to be 70 years before we see our friends again. And I can imagine one of the guys kind of leaning over to the other one and saying, you know, I got this, I got this pit in my backyard and it's empty right now. And, you know, we could just toss this guy in there. I don't blame the people necessarily entirely for the way that they treated Jeremiah. That's a hard message to receive. It's a hard message to receive, but look at what's at stake here. When people feel like they're in between, when people feel like they're not quite gone, but they're not quite here, uh, there, it, it causes you to, to, restrict your ability to thrive. You can't thrive in that place. Imagine, you know, you know what it's like to go to sleep at night and you're lying in bed and you're not quite asleep. You're not quite awake. You're in that in-between spot. And it's so frustrating to be there in that in-between spot. And finally you say, all right, enough of this. And you just get up 
and you're out of bed because it's better to be awake than it is to be in that in-between spot. The prophets, the false prophets wanted to put the people in the in-between spot. And I'm telling you today, settle down, plant, eat what the plants produce, give your daughters in marriage, receive wives for your sons, live life to the fullest now, thrive where you're at right now. Don't have in your mind, I got to get back. I got to, we got to end this thing quickly. We got to get this thing going. That's not the purpose of it. See, that's what we want, but that's not God's purpose in it. God wants you to thrive where you are right now. We're constantly thinking about the next thing, the next thing, the next thing. Don't you think that God has given us this time of rest to think about the now, to think about where we are right now, to stop constantly thinking about tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow. Think about today. God wants you to start thriving today, not tomorrow. So what do you need to do to thrive? Think about that in your own life. What is it that you need to do to thrive in the situation that you're in? Does it mean learning some technological skills so that you can access YouTube, so that you can watch some videos? Does it mean learning a way to teach your children so that you can homeschool for a bit? We are not in a holding pattern, okay? We're looking for ways to thrive. How do we thrive? Because the reality is when we come back from all of this, reality is, when Israelites came back from Babylon to Jerusalem, it was never the same again. It was never the same again. The Israel that they wanted to come to Jerusalem, that they wanted to come back to. It says in Nehemiah, when the people came back from exile, they cried when they saw the city because it was not what they remembered it as. When we come back from this period, I'm telling you, things will not be the same. So you need to discover how to thrive right now. Okay. God has called you to a period of time to thrive, to increase and not decrease. Don't resist it. Lean into it. Lean into it. One of the purposes that God has for this time is regarding our families, right? He tells the Israelites, give your, uh, give your daughters in marriage, find wives for your sons. God desires that our family life would thrive during this time period. For some, this means actually speaking with our family. You're locked in the same house as them. All of a sudden, it's difficult to get away. Now you're stuck. God wants to restore dinner table time. God wants to restore family night. God wants to restore family game night and family movie night. God wants to restore long talks. God wants to restore the awkward silences that you experience at a table with your teenager. God wants to restore those things. For too long, we've allowed sporting events and work and uh, going out and having fun and, and all that stuff to eat away at the bedrock of our society, which is our families. And all of a sudden, 50 years ago, people had conversations. And nowadays we can't. We don't know how to talk to our family. We don't know how to talk to our kids. Don't you think that maybe God is allowing this time? Don't you think that one of the purposes he has is to restore the family, is to restore relationships within the family? And if you start thinking, I can't wait till we get back. I can't wait till we get back. I can't wait till we get back. You're going to miss out on what God is doing at this time right now. You're going to miss this opportunity, this golden opportunity he's giving you. Our families are the bedrock of our society. And if you think the society is crumbling around you, look at our families. That's where it begins. That's where it starts. So take this time to thrive as a family. Take this time to connect. Take this time 
to spend time together playing games, reading books, reading the word of God, praying, talking with one another. Don't let it pass you by. Use this time to form good relationships, says Jeremiah. There's a second thing that God is looking to do, a second purpose that God has for this time. And that is regarding the level of distrust that we have for one another and for those who are in authority. Let's read verses 7 through 9. Here we go. Also, says Jeremiah, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. Pray to the Lord that the people who are in charge of this city would prosper. Because when they prosper, you prosper. It is difficult to seek the peace of the place where you live. I understand that. We're living in a time of deep political division. And I, I was already not looking forward to preaching during an election year, right? So this just makes things even crazier. But seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you. John Calvin uh, was a reformer, a theologian in the 16th century. This is what he wrote. He wrote that God did not desire that the Israelites would set their hearts on Babylon and forget Jerusalem, but rather that they would carry on the business of life as though they were in their own country. Listen to that. That they would carry on the business of life as if they were in their own country. Don't you understand that this country is not our home? Don't you understand that this city, this state, this nation is not our home? It's never been our final destination. We've always been pilgrims here. That's what we that's what Europeans understood the second they set foot on this place. But that is something which all Christians share in. We are pilgrims here. So we pray for our leaders. We pray for our president and our governor. The, the funny thing is, if you're a Republican, you may hate our governor right now. And if you're a Democrat, you may hate our president right now. So guess what? There's a challenge for both of us. Isn't that wonderful? God has given us a challenge. God hasn't left anybody out. You have a challenge today to pray for the people who are in government, to pray for the people that they would prosper, that peace would be upon them, that they would have wisdom, that they would have joy, that they would have the peace of God and the faithfulness of God in their hearts, whether they're Democrat or Republican. You need to pray that they would prosper because when they prosper, you prosper. We pray for our leaders. I was ashamed and amazed at the same time in this last season when we found out that Boris Johnson, the British prime minister, uh, had gotten sick and he actually ended up in intensive care uh, for a time. And, and there, was a, there was an up and down. You know, there was, a, there was a potential for it to go either way. And I was amazed and ashamed as I watched the British media and as I watched media sources in Britain that were staunchly liberal, that were staunchly against Boris Johnson, begin to talk about how we need to be praying for Boris, how we need to be thinking about him, uh, sending him fair, you know, good wishes, sending people from opposing parties uh, talking about how they're thinking about Boris Johnson and how they are hoping for his best and hoping that he'll pull through and all that. Diehard liberals in England were seeking the peace and prosperity of their prime minister. It was the most British display of civility 
And it was so frustrating to me because I think about what would happen if in our country, if Kate Brown went to ICU, I think about what would happen in our country if Donald Trump went to ICU. What would be the reaction of the Christians here on either side of the aisle? The message that they were proclaiming was, was plain. Our country's in chaos. The last thing we need is for our leader to be incapacitated. What would happen if our leaders got sick? We need to set aside our political allegiances for our Christian allegiance. I want to say that again. We need to set aside our political allegiances for our Christian allegiance. Could it be that as scary as this time is, as frustrating as it is, that maybe one of the purposes that God has is that this would be a time when we turned our hearts towards heaven and our prayers towards our government and towards Washington. So too often, too often we've turned our hearts towards Washington, D.C. and our prayers towards heaven. Maybe God is purposing in this time to turn your heart towards heaven and your prayers towards Washington. Don't allow this time to pass by without learning that lesson, without seeking the peace of the people who are in government. That means praying for our governor. That means praying for our president, praying for our legislators, praying for the people who have to make the hard decisions. I was listening uh, earlier to uh, reading some news earlier this week about some of the states that are starting to reopen um, and some of the governors who are who are starting to reopen things. And there's conservative governors who are keeping things under lock and there's liberal governors starting to open things up. So it's there's no there's no divide in that sense. But it does seem that more conservative governors are starting to look at opening things up. And I, I, I had this thought as I was reading these news articles about how terrible of a decision that has to be. How difficult of a decision that has to be. Well, I mean, what are you going to do? Are you going to keep things under lockdown for longer and possibly create suffering uh, in terms of economic deprivation and, and difficulty? Or are you going to end the shutdowns early and perhaps create suffering uh, by, you know, an increase in coronavirus and increase in cases and caseloads on your hospital. There's no good answer to that. You're, you lose either way. There's no win answer. And I think about the people in government, the people in leadership who have to make those decisions, uh, who have to decide, okay, we're going to open up next week. And knowing that their, their decision to open up or to stay closed is going to cause suffering in people. They are in charge and they have to make that decision. As a leader, they have to make that decision. I understand that as a leader, I have to make sometimes decisions which are unpopular. But as a leader at this time, whatever decision Kate Brown makes, whatever decision other governors make are going to have wide reaching effects and it's going to lead to suffering no matter what happens. Think about that when you pray for our leaders. Think about that when you pray for our governors. They're not in a space where there's a good answer. They're not in a space where it's obvious that there's a clear path forward. They need wisdom. They need guidance. They need patience. They need faithfulness. They need to be insulated against the attacks that are going to come because if they don't open up, they're going to get attacked. And if they do open up, they're going to get attacked. So they need protection, prayer for protection. Please pray for our governors. Pray for the president. Pray for them because they're not in a good spot right now. It's not an easy decision to make. Don't allow this time to pass without God working out his purpose, that he wants to bring unity and love and peace to a situation of political division 
and political divisiveness. Maybe God is preparing us for this election. Maybe this is a way that God is preparing us so that come uh, the end of November, when we know what the results, hopefully we'll know. It may take a while. You know how these things work. But when we at least at last figure out the results of this next election, maybe there won't be as much chaos um, from either side because we've had this time now to prepare our hearts and to soften our hearts towards our government. Maybe, maybe God has purposed this. Maybe this has happened for a purpose. Okay, let's go on. Verses 10 through 11. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Can you imagine reading this letter that Jeremiah has sent? Being in Babylon, being one of those Jews who had been taken into Babylon. Maybe Daniel even got to read this letter. Imagine reading this letter and reading what it says. 70 years you'll be in Babylon. That means many people will be born and die in Babylon. They'll never be able to see Jerusalem. That means that the vast majority, if not all of the generation of people who left Jerusalem are going to die in Babylon. They'll never come back again. They'll never see their homeland ever again. It means that those who do see the homeland will be so young, they'll, be, they'll barely remember what it was like. And it's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. Y'all are upset about school being canceled this year. But can you imagine if we said, can you imagine if the governor said, all right, here's the thing. You know, this virus is a lot bigger than we thought it was initially. We gave it some time. Here, we're going to have to wait 70 years before we can all come back out again. Just shelter in place, you know, invest in in masks, invest in toilet paper. We're going to be in this for 70 years. It's going to be a long haul. God says, when the time is right, I will bring you back from exile. When the time is right, I will bring you back from exile. I don't want my trust in God to be dependent upon my circumstances. I don't want to look out the window and say, oh, it's sunny. Oh, praise God. Oh, it's rainy. Oh, I hate God. Oh, why are you doing this to me, God? I don't want my circumstances to determine my faith. I want my faith to lead to my actions and lead to my thoughts and lead to my words. You may be in a place of suffering today, but I want to tell you God is coming for you and he's not going to allow the suffering to destroy you and he's not going to allow the suffering to cease until he has worked out his purposes in your life. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know that he is watching you and he is watching me. God says, I know the plans I have for you. I know them. I know what they are. They aren't plans of your neighbors. They aren't plans of your friends. They aren't plans of people in control of your life. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. They are plans to prosper you and not to harm you. This is not a time to harm you. This is not a time to break you. This is not a time to wear you down. This is not a time to destroy you. The plan that God has for you during exiles to prosper you, to make you thrive, to make you rediscover the things of life, to rebuild something which was decaying before. Everyone knows, you can, go ask Stanley Michelson, if you want to build on something, you better make sure there's not decay and rot underneath it because you can build a real pretty room on the top of a rotting house. And guess what? That room is not going to be worth a lick of anything because it's going to come down and be destroyed. God right now is digging down into society 
looking for the areas of decay and addressing those. And he's not going to allow us to build a big, beautiful house until he can address the issues of decay, which are present within our lives. Let him work. Let him get in there. Watch as he does these things. He has a plan to prosper you. He is at work among you. The plans of God cannot be dismissed because of a virus. They cannot be dismissed because of a quarantine. God has plans for you. They will not be delayed. They will not be stopped. These are the words of Walter Brueggemann. He said, there is a future willed by God that refutes any despair which Judah has experienced. I want to tell you today that there is a future that God has for you. And it will refute any damage, any deceitfulness, any downheartedness, desperation, or depression that this quarantine is causing. The plan of God cannot be denied. It will go forward and it will prosper. And it will be for your life and for your future. Don't think that this is delaying or stopping or diverting or distracting from the plans that God has for you. Discern. Listen to this time. God has a plan for your life. And it's going to be for your benefit. Nothing can stop it. God has purposes. His plan is undeniable. He has purpose to bring families together. He's purpose to turn our hearts towards our neighbors and to uh, lift up our government, to pray for our leaders. But what I believe God is doing this time, which is most significant, the greatest purpose that he has in this time, we're going to read about in this next section. Let's read verses 12 through 14. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I've banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. God has purposed at this time that your heart would turn towards him. Gone are the idols of shopping and sports. Gone are the idols of money seeking and drinking down at the bar. Gone are the distractions of our world. God has zeroed in on the human heart. And now there's no more excuses, are there? You can't say you like you don't like go people at church and that's why you're not going to show up for church. Guess what? There's nobody in church anymore. You can't say that uh, you don't like the worship. You know what? You can listen to professional worship before the sermon starts. I won't feel offended. You can listen to professional worship. You can't say that you don't want to come to church because you don't like the preaching. Guess what? You have the pick of the litter of thousands of preachers across the world that you can listen to right now. I appreciate you tuning in to me. But you can listen to any one of these teachers, any one of these preachers, ones who are much better than I am. I will freely and fully admit that. God, thank you for the gift of preaching that you've given me. But I love listening to preachers who are better than I am because I love listening and learning from them. You can't say that you don't like the preaching. You can't say it's too early in the morning, right? You could sleep in until 10 and then wake up. You could watch this later in the day. You can't say that you don't like getting dressed. For all I know, you could be in your pajamas right now. You probably are. God bless you. Good for you. I have to dress up because I'm people are watching me. You don't have to dress up. You can't say it's too cold. You can stay in bed. You can't say you don't like to drive anywhere. You're staying in your house. There's no more excuses for you. God has taken away every one of them, and he's taken away all the distractions of life. And now the question is, now, at this time, will you turn your heart and begin to seek God? God has a purpose for this suffering. God has a purpose for exile. He has a purpose for this quarantine. Will you seek him? He's taken away every lame excuse that we have, and he's asking. 
will you seek him at this time? And he has promised you here, as he's always promised throughout scripture, the very beginning from his first relationship with Adam until far into the gospels and Jesus coming, until even past that, and we read the Acts of the Apostles and the Holy Spirit descending on the church. And even past that, if we read in the book of Revelation and our future hope, God has said throughout history, if you seek me, you will find me. If you seek me with all your heart, if you knock, the door will be open to you. If you seek me, you will find me. If you diligently follow after me, your name will be written in the book of life. Recognize that God wants to be found by you today. He wants to be found today. My greatest joy as a pastor has been hearing about the stories of people getting some alone time with Jesus during this time. Hearing people who uh, are talking about worship sessions that they've had, uh, talking about uh, times of prayer that they've had, times of devotion that have entered into their lives at this time and been able to get alone with Jesus. And I pray that that will be all of your experiences. We want to help you in that. I'm, I'm working on getting together a, a list of resources for you to find some time to get alone with Jesus during this time, during this during this season. He has a purpose. He's watching you, O Israel. He will not allow your suffering to endure forever. He will bring you back from Babylon. He's watching you, O church. He will not allow this to endure forever. He's going to bring you back from this quarantine. But until he does, recognize that he has purposes at play. Take some time this week to play a family game with your family. Take some time this week to call a friend that you may not have talked with very much. Take some time to pray for your leaders. You can find out who they are online. Take some time to enjoy the presence of God. Take this, take, take this time to seek after him. Above all, seek the Lord with your whole heart and you will find him. Let me pray for you. Lord, I thank you so much that you are found by us. God, I thank you that your word is not locked away. I thank you that you are not a God like the deists believe, who just set the world in motion and then took his hands off and stepped away and said, all right, it's up to you now. You are a God who is intimately concerned with us, intimately acquainted with our lives, and you desire to be found by us. And I pray that we would take heed to Jeremiah's words this time. I pray that we wouldn't look for this time to end so much that we ignore the purpose that you have for our lives right now. So declare them to us, Lord. Build up our families, Jesus. Infect our prayer life with the patience and peace of God. Lord, turn our hearts towards you that we might seek you out and that you might be found by us. Be with every one of these people. Bless them. Be with them. Protect them. Lord, let us come together soon, but let us not come together until we have learned and accepted the purposes that you have during this time. In your holy and precious name, Jesus, I lift these things up to you. Amen.